Well, if you'd like the teaching notes for today, just raise up your hand. Most of you grab them on the way in, but if you have not gotten a copy, just leave your hand raised for a moment, and we'll have some of our ushering team bring those to you. The message this morning is kind of building off of what we talked about last week. The Lord is raising up a victorious church in this hour. But the way in which the church is going to walk in victory is in accordance with the plans and the purposes of God. In other words, it's how God defines a victorious church in that hour is very important for the body of Christ to understand. This week, we're going to talk about the victorious church turning to the affections of Christ and receiving a greater impartation of the Lord's heart towards us in love, his affection, his desire, and his delight. I believe it's one of the things that the Lord is emphasizing right now for us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 21, you can... Turn there in your Bible if you want, or it's also on the teaching handout. Paul prays this important prayer that the body of Christ would be strengthened with a supernatural might, a supernatural strength. We need a supernatural strength in order to walk in the revelation of God's affections for us. He prays that Christ would dwell in our heart through faith, verse 17, and that we would become rooted and grounded in love. The victorious church in this hour is going to more and more become rooted and grounded in the affections of Christ so that her confidence, so that her hope is not in present temporary circumstances, but rather she becomes anchored in the plans and the purposes of God as, as they unfold and her faith does not waver. Paul goes on in verse 19 that she would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I mean, this is a staggering statement the apostle is making here. That the love of Christ, the experiential knowledge of God, because to know God's love doesn't just mean to apprehend it intellectually. It doesn't just mean we read it and then understand it. It means that we're to encounter the powerful and profound love of God. And Paul states here that the love of Christ passes knowledge. It passes our experiences related to our temporal circumstances. It surpasses whatever season that we're in. It's more important that we become anchored in the revelation of God's love than it is that we would understand every single season of our life even fully. He says that we would be filled with the fullness of God according to the power that works in us. And that God, in verse 21, he would receive glory in the church. Holy Spirit, we come before you. We ask, Lord, in accordance with your word, that you would raise up a victorious church that walks in a greater measure of understanding of your delight and your affection toward us. We ask you, Lord, that even this morning that your words, like refreshing wind, would blow across the hearts of the body of Christ, the spiritual family, and that you would cause us to turn to you in a deeper way, to love you in the way that you've called us to love you, and to receive the affections of Jesus even in the midst of this season. In your name, Lord, we pray, amen. Paragraph A, the Lord is preparing a victorious church. And just a minute of review, last week we talked about how the Lord is going to posture the body of Christ for victory in the times of trouble and pressure that are coming. But the way that the Lord defines victory in Revelation chapter 12 is because of the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. The Lord wants to redefine the way that we understand victory in Him and walking in Him and what it means to be a victorious people in the midst of both present circumstances and future ones. 
The Spirit is preparing the bride for the wedding supper of the Lamb. What's happening and beginning to increase, I believe, in the earth, paragraph B, is that we are in a season of bridal preparation. The bride of Christ, you and me and every believer across the earth, is being made ready for the wedding supper of the Lamb where we will see Jesus face to face and be with him for all of eternity in joy and in glory and in beauty. In order for the bride to be prepared, the Lord is allowing social and national pressures to touch her, to touch our lives, to touch the body of Christ across the earth because the Lord through pressure and through crisis, the Lord is committed to delivering his people from spiritual compromise and idolatry. There are idols that exist within the human heart, even within the heart of God's people. And the Lord, because he is a bridegroom, is very jealous that those idols would not remain there. He is going to remove the idolatry within the heart of his people from the earth so that her love is perfected and purified and so that Jesus has an equally yoked partner. He has a bride who is made beautiful and glorious in accordance with the word of God, the teaching of scripture. This is what the Lord is doing. There are many forms of idolatry within our hearts. It's not just those that worship trees and worship the stars and bow down to stone idols. That does happen. But the Lord is looking into the heart of his people and the way that God is focusing in on idolatry is anything that keeps us from fully loving him and being devoted to him. Any love that's within our heart that surpasses or gets in the way of God and his desire for his people, he says, I am set on removing that idol from the heart of my people and purifying their love. And so we're to interpret the pressures and the shakings that are happening as the Lord honing in on and emphasizing those areas of compromise those areas of sin, those areas of idolatry, because some of the idols are blatant sins. Some of them are related to anger. Some of them are related to lust or immorality or lying, greed, whatever it is. But there are other areas where even good things are stealing away the affection from the bride that is meant for the bridegroom, King Jesus. And he says, I'm coming after those things too. I want my people to fully love me, to fully enjoy me. I, I don't want my bride to have any boyfriends on the side. I mean, he really is a bridegroom. He really is adamant that his bride would be single-minded and wholehearted in her devotion and love and purity right now. And obviously, all throughout church history. Well, there's an urgent call to fellowship with the Lord and to encounter him, to really encounter the man Jesus, to not just hear words, to not just read about him, but to really encounter him in a personal way. And we've highlighted this passage, Revelation 3, verse 20. The Lord says, I stand at the door and I knock. I knock. Why? Because he's on the outside and he wants in. That's why the Lord knocks on our life. And the Lord will use all manner of circumstances, of pressures, of breakthrough, of blessing, of setback. He will use it all to ensure that the people of God hear that knock. Because if he's on the outside and we're on the inside, what are we even doing? What are we even about? If Jesus is looking at the activities of the church and looking at the activities of our life and he's on the outside of that, what do we even do? We've gone astray. So he says, I'm gonna knock on the door of your life. I'm gonna knock on the heart of the church of America. That is, what hap is what's happening. He is getting the attention of his people. 
Some are responding. Others are not responding. Those that are not responding, he's going to continue to knock on the door of their heart. And those that are not responding even more, their heart is becoming more and more hard to the things of God. That's a dangerous place to be. He says, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. He says, I want you to hear my voice. He says, if anyone hears my voice, hear what I'm after, hear what the Spirit is saying. You know, when we talk about the first and great commandment of loving the Lord your God, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Trust the Lord. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The first thing we must do, the body of Christ must hear that it's God who's knocking on the door through our present circumstances and through increasing trouble. He is the one knocking and we're responding to him. Some people are just trying to put their fingers in their ears and act like nothing is going on and that eventually life will return to normal. We're trying to get back to the old way, the way it was two years ago, the way it was 20 years ago, the way it was whatever, whatever, whatever. And they're not in understanding that it's God, it's Christ who is knocking on the door of the heart of believers and he's going, I'm coming after you. I want you. I paid a price for you on Calvary, and I'm not willing to just let that, the price, the value of that sacrifice go by, and you remain in your idolatry, and you remain in a spirit of deception. He says, I am committed to knocking on the door of your heart. He says, I want you to open the door to me. <clears throat> to open the door to the Lord means that we make intentional changes in our lives as things come to the surface and are highlighted to us. Maybe this last year, what's been highlighted to you is an issue of anger or despair within your own soul. Maybe it's a sense of unfulfillment and loneliness because you've been trying to find your sense of satisfaction and value with relationships with people, but now those are hindered because of things that have happened. And now that issue of your own heart, that feeling of loneliness or despair or, or isolation is now coming to the forefront. The Lord says, I want in there. I want to come in. I want to dine with you. I'm not afraid if you're lustful. I'm not afraid if you're deceived. I'm not afraid if you're bound in addiction or alcohol or pornography. I'm not afraid of your addiction. I just want you to open the door to me. Because if I come in, I can deliver you. If you don't open the door to me and expose your heart to me, then I'm gonna continue knocking and the knocks are gonna get louder and more fervent and more intense in our lives. He says, I want you to open the door. Make changes as these various areas of your own life. Now I'm talking individually as these various areas of our own lives, as they're exposed, as they come to the surface and they're right in front of us because of pressure. He says, I want you to make changes. I want you to turn to me with a spirit of repentance and, and humility because I want to deliver you. I wanna set you free from the power and the influence of sin in your life. I wanna set you free from a spirit of deception. I wanna set you free from depression. I wanna set you free from brokenness and areas where we need healing in our life. He says, let me in. He says, I'll come in and I'll dine with him and he with me. It's the place of fellowship. It's the place of of intimacy with the Lord, where we talk, where we relate to one another around the word of God, where our thoughts are renewed and changed by God. Well, paragraph C, last year on February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, I got a Valentine's Day card from the Lord. I took a nap and had a dream, and in that dream, there was a golden wind, which I knew 
to be a positive thing that was blowing across the face of the earth, the whole earth. And there were these mighty trees in the midst of this dream and this wind was blowing them over, every single one. And I understood, because a voice said it in the dream, I understood that these mighty trees represented religious and political institutions. They were being uprooted by the Lord, and I believe that it was the Lord beginning to knock on the heart of his people in a stronger way. The Lord was intent on removing the carnal confidence that his people had in these various institutions. They were political ones. They were church-related ones, denominations. The voice in the dream said that there is no safety in any stream or affiliation. This is what it means to be affiliated. You might have lived in Indiana at one point. You might live there now and be listening to this. And you've got a heart for prayer and you've got a heart for intimacy with God and you wanna grow in your understanding of the end time. So click, you turn on the web stream. Others of you wild ones, pull up your family and move here, and you show up. We love it. That's what we did. But in the dream, the Lord was highlighting that there is no safety in just being affiliated with a praying people or with a people pursuing intimacy or a people pursuing understanding of the end times. It's not enough to be affiliated because affiliation and a badge on a shirt will not sustain you in the days ahead. You need reality. And the Lord is knocking on the door of the body of Christ and he's going, do you have reality in your heart? Do you really have intimacy with Jesus? Not the message. You can say the message. Do you take the time in your own life to cultivate a deep and vibrant relationship with Jesus? And the Lord was in this dream, he was addressing these various things. He says, people are gaining, the idea is they have confidence because of an affiliation with a political party. They have confidence because of an affiliation with a particular ministry or a denomination or whatever it was. And all of this stuff is being propped up in people's hearts. And the Lord in the dream was blowing over these institutions, challenging them and exposing them and saying, I need a people who are rooted in me. Your root system, your value system cannot be attached to anything. It can't be attached to Forerunner Church or IHOPKC or whatever other ministry that you're connected to. It can't just be attached into that and that we garner some sort of confidence like we know what's going on. We've really got it. The Lord says, no, my people must have reality. And I'm gonna knock on their heart until they get reality with me. And so I'm gonna send pressure. I'm gonna allow trouble to touch them because I'm gonna bring the areas in their life that are rooted in other things, that are rooted in carnal confidence. I'm gonna bring those things to light so that they can be repented of and so that they can become rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Haggai chapter two, verse six. The Lord says, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. He wasn't joking. The Lord was not joking. He says, I am so committed to my people and their love being purified. I am so committed to the nations seeing the glory of my Father. I am so committed to every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that I am the Lord. He says, I will shake every nation. I will shake everything that can be shaken. And if it can be shaken, beloved, it will be shaken. In our personal lives, if there is an area of our life that can be shaken by the Lord, he is going to shake it. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't be a good bridegroom. If he didn't, he wouldn't be a kind father. If he just let us continue on, built up, propped up 
in compromise, in sin, carnal confidence, just affiliated with movements like, woo, we got it going on because we went to the event, we went to the church, we went to the ministry. No, that will not stand in the days ahead and it's not going to stand even now. Paragraph E, the whole, po- the whole point of why God is shaking things is so that people come to the desire of all nations. That's speaking of Jesus. He's going, I'm shaking the whole thing because I want people to fall down and come to me. I'm gonna awaken them. I'm gonna turn them to me. They're going to see me. At the end of the day, I'm gonna remove all of the excuses and all of the ignorance and they will either choose me or reject me, but there will be no middle ground. There will be no confusion about what's at stake. They will come to the desire of all nations. Now, the shaking serves to disrupt the normal rhythm of our lives so that people start asking new questions. If there's anything that happened in the last year and a half, it's that people are asking new questions. They're searching for answers. They're searching for the meaning of what's going on. Who is behind this? What is happening right now? Is this because of something in nature? Is this because there is a God? Is this because there's a Satan? Look, what is going on right now? And the Lord allows disruption so that people ask new questions. And the reason we have to ask new questions is because we were coming to the wrong answers before. And our lives were demonstrating that we were coming to the wrong answers. He says, I want you to ask new questions. I think that in the last year and a half, many, many believers are reading the Bible with new eyes. That's an example. They're reading the Bible. I'm hearing it from lots of people all over, some that track closely with what's happening here or not. Doesn't matter. People are reading the word of God with new eyes because they're believers. They're shaking happening. They're looking at the word of God. They're beginning to ask new questions. What is going on here? What is God really like? What is he capable of? And that is the purpose of the knock. That is the purpose of the divine disruption. People are going to, at the end of paragraph E, unbelievers are going to be awakened to the Lord because there's a great harvest of souls that's coming. And the way that they're gonna come to the Lord is by coming to Christians who have become rooted in the truths of God and they love Jesus. The Lord is gonna send you, unbelievers, into your life. They're asking questions because their life is being shaken. And when they come to you, what are you going to say to them? When they come to you and ask what's happening and this and that, what is going to be the narrative that you are going to tell them? What is the conversation? What is the emphasis? Where is your confidence? Because the Lord wants to bring a harvest into a purified church so that the harvest, shockingly, remains purified. And that's why he's so adamant right now about putting his hand on the people of God and purifying their love and getting their minds clear and getting their lives clear and getting their finances in order. This is the time to set our houses in order before the Lord. Humility and repentance is the only way forward. It's the only way to the desire of all nations. The Lord insists on it. There is no other way. There's no other strategy. The only way that we win is through humility and repentance in pursuing Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, he says, see that you do not refuse him who's speaking. The Lord is speaking to us. He's speaking to the body of Christ. He says, don't refuse. Listen to this. This will put the fear of the Lord in your Sunday afternoon cake. They did not escape. 
if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. The stakes are going up. The hour is becoming more urgent. There is more of a pressing call upon the body of Christ to turn to Jesus, to deal with those little foxes of compromise in our hearts. I mean, to really repent before him and turn to him. He's gonna shake everything, verse 27. He's gonna remove the things that are being shaken, all of them, all the idols in the land, in the natural, in the spirit, among believers, unbelievers, all of the idols are going to totter. They are going to fall over. They are going to be exposed and destroyed. We can do it either voluntarily or involuntarily. You know, there's two ways that idols in the Old Testament got removed from the temple when they were placed there. Wasn't a place for idols, but they would sneak them in there. Either the Lord raised up a deliverer to come and get them out of there like a Jehu, remove the idols, or the Lord would send trouble and the temple would be destroyed to destroy the idols. These are sobering days. Page two. In light of that, the Lord wants to establish his people. He wants them to be rooted and fully grounded in his affection and his delight. This is the way forward for the body of Christ. That's why Paul is praying this. In verse 16, he's praying that God would grant us. In other words, we don't just wake up having this. It's something that's granted by God. And so it must be asked for and it must be received. The heart must be prepared to receive that which God is intending to give. The Lord desires for his people to be established in the confidence that he delights in them and enjoys them. It's the whole reason that everything that's happening is happening. It's because he wants his people to delight in him to the same degree that he delights in them. The heart of the father, the heart of the bridegroom that looks over the face of the earth, that sees his people, that longs for them, that wants them where he is. You know, anything that God could have had, he could have had. Anything that he wanted, he could just have it. I mean, he's God. And the thing that he wanted was, was you and me. That's the thing that he set his affection on, his, his desire on. Out of everything in the created universe, out of all the cosmos, he looks down at weak, broken me here in Grandview. And he says, I want you. I'm after you. His desire is toward us. His heart like the burning bridegroom thinking of his wedding day with anticipation, with fervor, with zeal. I mean, he's deeply connected to that day. He's looking down at the heart of this people and saying, I'm coming after you. I'm after you. I want you. Paul prayed, paragraph B, that believers would receive spiritual strength in order to enter in to the revelation of his affection, that vast ocean of his love. That's how Paul describes it. The width, the length, the depth, the height. I mean, this immeasurable subject called the affections of Christ. Paul said, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would give you power that you'd be strengthened with might because we need a supernatural strength to overcome our emotional deficiencies, to overcome our lack of understanding, to overcome our lack of faith, to override our systems and get us into what it is that God intends us to know and experience and enjoy. He says, I'm asking for the strengthening of might. You need a supernatural strength to get you into where the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. 
these issues of our carnality and our broken emotional condition, the way that we think of God and that maybe he really doesn't like me that much. Maybe, he, maybe his love is just that he tolerates me. He just kind of pities me. You know, like a kid with like a pet. You look down at the pet, it's like, oh, this poor animal. You look across, you know, you see your neighbors with their pets, you just think, man, that poor animal. It's just this kind of pity, like, oh, yeah, that's a nice animal. I love it. You know, it's, it's just out of this place of sentiment. And the Lord goes, no, I don't look at you out of a sentimental lens. Look at the cross. I mean, the cross is the demonstration of my love for you and my commitment to you. The cross was not about sentiment. The cross was about putting my feet to where my heart is, walking out the suffering, walking out the pain, walking out bearing the wrath of my Father. There is not sentiment involved in the equation. But in the brokenness of our emotions, we sentimentalize the love of the Lord like he's the big Santa Claus in the sky looking down at us, kind of feeling bad for us, like, ah, if you just got your act together, you know? He's going, no, I have a burning, raging fire within my heart called the love of God, the affections of God, the holy transcendent love. I mean, back up at this verse, Hebrews 12, 25, our God is a consuming fire. He's not about sentiment. He's not just about pity. He's looking at his people and he's going, I burn with a jealous love for you. I want you more than anything. Nothing can keep me from having you with me forever. That's why he sent his own son. God so loved the world, he had so much affection for the world that he gave his most prized possession, the very life, the very blood of his own beloved son who would be, you know, become a man, suffer, be crucified. This story is outrageous. Lord says, I want you, my people, Walking in victory. I want them rooted in the truth of how I feel about them. I love what the psalmist says. He says, precious are your thoughts toward me. Who could count the sum of them? Who could count them? There are more precious thoughts of God toward us than the sands of the seashore and the stars in the skies. I've always loved space and the stars and the cosmos and often in the mornings when I wake up, the stars are still out, so aren't I so holy because I'm up so early? No, I walk outside and from my house, I look at the stars, I just thank God. I, I, when I look at the stars, I feel so small and I go, how could a big God who created all of this care about me, much less love me, much less die for me? Scientists say that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. There are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. If you take a handful of sand on the beach, they say you have about 10,000 grains. I mean, how many beaches are there along the shorelines of every continent, every island, how deep is it? They say for every grain of sand, there are 10,000 stars in the universe. Let me say that again. For every grain of sand, there are 10,000 stars in the universe. And David Psalm 139 has this revelation. Precious are your thoughts towards me. Who could count them? They number more than the grains of sand. They number more than the stars in the universe. The Lord's thoughts towards me that are precious, that are filled with delight and joy and gladness and happiness within his own soul. He says, I am lavishing 
my heart upon my people. I want them rooted. I want them filled with understanding concerning the affections that are on my heart for them. Paragraph D. Paul prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love. That the love of God, the affections of Christ, they would become the anchor and the foundation of our life. What is the anchor and the foundation of your life? When, all, when everything is going wrong, what is the thing that you run to, that you cling to? If everything in your life was reduced, everything was taken away and removed, what is the thing that you would cling to? Would you cling to the affections of Christ for you? He says, I want my people to become rooted and grounded in the vast ocean of my affection for them. I want this to be the anchor that when the storms blow, when the waves swell up around their lives, I want them to be anchored in the revelation of my affection and my great love for them as a bridegroom God. Jesus told his followers in John 15, verse 9, that he loved them with the same intensity, with the same depth, the same level of understanding, the same maturity. He's looking at his followers. He's saying, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. One of the challenges to loving people is when there's disagreement. When there's disagreement, there are many, many challenges to feeling affection towards that person. Just think of the people that you know. There is no barrier between the father and the son in terms of their affection and love and enjoyment of one another. Think about that. I mean, there's just complete agreement, complete love, complete joy. They've never hurt one another betrayed one another, gossiped about one another. They've never done the things that we've done to one another. So their relationship is without hindrance and without barriers. The way that the father loves the son in all of his perfections, in all of his glory is with such perfect love. There's no way to accurately describe even the way that the father feels about his son. I mean, he feels so intensely about his son that when his son was on earth, the father had to interrupt the program from heaven. Say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Everybody's gotta know that. Pay attention to how much I love him. Pay attention to how much I enjoy him. He just interrupts the program. People are hearing it. They're like, well, who is that? What's going on? And he's so overcome with desire and love for his own son that he just interrupts. Boom. People are going, is that an angel? Like, what's going on here? The father loves the son with such perfect, unhindered love. And then Jesus looks at his disciples. He looks at his followers. He says, the same quality, the same measure of love that my father has for me he says, I have that for you. I have that for you. And we go, oh Lord, but we're so weak. We're so messed up. Our lives are fractured. They're just a series of broken events over and over as we try and be obedient to God. He says, my cross has made a way. I've removed the barriers. I've removed the hindrances, I've made you righteous so that you can become the recipient of my great affection, my great love, my great enjoyment, my great 
delight. He says, I want to tell you again and again and again how I feel about you. And I want you to believe it. I want you to believe it when you get laid off from work and you're sick in the hospital or your life is falling apart or something happens that's beyond your control. I want you to feel it. I want you to live in my love. That's why he says right here, abide in my love. Now that I've told you the measure to which I love you, he says, I don't want you to depart from that. I don't want you to just feel it when you're praying and you're so holy and just kind of nice before the Lord and you really haven't had a major setback in two weeks. Just abide in my love then. No, 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 no. Abide in the love of God just after you've sinned and you're repenting. Abide in the love of God right in the midst of a marital conflict. Abide in the love of God as pressure touches your life, as finances dry up, as you have major setbacks, as you're in conflict with a supervisor at work. He says, abide in my love. Never depart from it. This is the anchor. This is the the baseline of my people walking in victory because the circumstances don't determine how much I love and enjoy you. I don't want you to live captive to your circumstances. I don't want you to live captive to your broken emotions, your negative feelings. How good do you think you're doing? How bad do you think you're doing? The up and down roller coaster of emotions. He goes, abide in my love. Don't leave this conversation with me. No, we don't do it 24-7. We may not even do it 10 hours a day, but the point is is that we take small steps toward it. We're angry, we're feeling anger within us. It begins to rise up. There's some sort of thing happening, some sort of conflict or whatever. We go back, we say, you know what, Lord, tell me again that rooted and grounded thing, that abide in your love thing. And when we begin to abide here more and more, our our emotions, our thoughts, our ways become more and more aligned with the heart of God. Paragraph F. The primary way that we grow in Christ's affections is by reading God's word, feeding on it. He calls it the banqueting table. The banqueting table speaks of the abundant amount of revelation of his heart to equip us, to anchor us, to cause us to be victorious, to cause us to be unshaken and not troubled through circumstances. He says, come to my banqueting table. God often reveals the splendor of his affections in the midst of trouble, not after the trouble lifts. In the very midst, you lose a child. The Lord wants to reveal his glory and his beauty to you in that moment. Look at Psalm 23, verse five. The psalmist says, you prepare a table before me. It's the banqueting table. It's the wide array of the glories of God that demonstrate his love and affections. He says, you prepared a table before me, but Lord, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we're in the presence of our enemies right now. Couldn't you like kill the enemies and then we have the table? He goes, no. He goes, we're right in the midst of all the enemies. The armies are knocking on the door. They're coming with threats. They're reviling. They're blaspheming. And the Lord says, this is a good time to have a party. Like, who is this God? Most people have the banqueting table and the feast after all the enemies have been defeated. The Lord goes, yeah, the enemies are rising up. Wow, that looks bad, huh? Let's let's get together. Let's get a potluck going. Let's have a banqueting table prepared. I want you to come, not feast on the threats of the enemy, and let them trouble you, I want you to feast on the glory of my affection for you. He says that you've anointed my head with oil and my cup runs over. The Lord in the midst of trouble, 
in the midst of pressure will meet us with the power of revelation that sustains us, but not just enough to get us by, but so that your cup would run over. Maybe you've been to a buffet where you've seen an individual with plastic lined pockets <laughs> helping themselves to some extra lo mein. $11.99 was not enough to feed me. I need a cup that runs over. So I have plastic lined pockets. I have plastic in my purse and I'm throwing it in there. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've participated in that. Don't raise your hand. But the person that does that, here's a person whose cup is running over. They're not just sustained. They're overflowing. And I'm being silly, but the Lord doesn't just want his people sustained. Love it. He wants us to overflow. We come to the banqueting table of Christ's affections, and we begin to eat and feast just by talking to him about the word of God. Guess what happens? Your cup, the emotional cup of your heart, your strength is renewed. Then it begins to run over. Guess who that run over is for? That's for your roommate. That's for your spouse. That's for your children. That's for your difficult circumstances. That's through your strained employer-employee relationship. See, the strain and the lack is because we're coming to each other. Our cups aren't running over, and we're going, give me a drink. We're like, no, I barely got enough for me. No, 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 give me a drink. We, what we need is a cup that runs over, that our heart is sustained and refreshed by the affections of Christ so that we can give and pour out to those who are in need around us and to do it without spite. Have the worship team go ahead and come out. When with this, Song of Solomon 2, 4, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. He brought me to the banqueting house. The banner, the declaration of God's love over your life, over the body of Christ is one of love and affection and enjoyment. You know, the, the people that walk around with banners are armies, so when she says, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner, it means that they're in the midst of a war, just like David was talking about in Psalm 23. It's in the midst of the war. And right now, so many believers are going, okay, we're in the midst of the war. What's going on? What's this, all thing, what's this whole thing about? And the Holy Spirit is going, look up, look at the banner. This is about you becoming rooted in my affections. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I want you to look up. We're like, what kind of party is this? You throw weird parties. You do weird things. And he goes, this is all about everything that is occurring. Every pressure, every circumstance, every this, every that is about my people discovering that the banner over their life is love and affection. We've got to be connected to this. We've got to be rooted in this. We can't get lost in the cultural conversation of who's right, who's wrong, who's to blame, and who's not. There's a time for that, but the primary conversation has to be, Lord, cause my heart to become rooted in the affections of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. This morning, I want to invite up anyone that would like to receive prayer. The Lord's touching your heart right now. And he's touching your heart related to this. I've been so thinking about the battle, I forgot that the whole point was his banner over me is love. I need to touch the affections in God's heart again. Maybe you did that in a past season. Maybe it's been a period of time since you've really looked at how God feels about you, how he delights in you. And you've, you've gotta be refreshed in that. You need a, a cup that's running over. That's another group. 
You feel like your cup is empty. And the demands of work, the demands of life, the demands of school assignments, the demands, the demands, the demands, they're coming to the cup of your heart and you're going, I've got no overflowing anything to give everyone. I want everyone to shut up and leave me alone. The Lord wants to fill the cup of your heart this morning. I want to invite up anyone in the room that, you know, you're thinking about the last 18 months, and, and here's a thought. Have you, have you taken the time to go, Lord, as you've knocked on my life, I'm surrendering these areas of my heart to you. I mean, I'm really surrendering them. I'm really letting you in. And maybe you haven't done that. And I want to encourage you to do that. You can come up to the front to receive prayer. You don't have to. You can stay where you are. But just letting the bridegroom in to the place of your heart as things have come to the surface. Maybe your life's been shaken real intensely. Maybe not. Whatever. I mean, all of us are being touched in some way. And the Lord is going, I'm knocking on the door. And have you really taken that intentional time to surrender those areas of your heart and your life to him. I want to invite you to come to the front. Then I just felt prompted, we did this at first service too, to pray for anyone that needs a miracle and a breakthrough in their life. You need a miracle, you need a healing, you need a financial miracle, you need a marriage miracle, you need a relationship miracle. You need a miracle, and here's why I have faith for this, because the bridegroom God is so filled with emotion, so filled with generosity, so filled with joy, he wants to set people free today. And if that's you, I wanna invite you to come up. We'll release our ministry team. I'm gonna pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would release grace upon grace upon grace upon these hearts. Father, upon these lives, upon your servants, the ones that you love, the ones that you enjoy. Lord, let us be a people anchored in the affections of your heart. Let us be a people whose cup overflows in the day of battle, in the day of trouble. Let us be a people that are not overcome with despair, with heaviness, some of you in the room right now, you've been wrestling with a spirit of heaviness and despair. You feel it when you wake up in the morning. I want to pray for you and anyone online as well. That's you. You're wrestling with feelings of despair and heaviness. The things that you've worked for, they're not working out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would rebuke the assignment of despair and heaviness from your people. We cry out, O oh Lord, for the joy of the Lord that is our strength, your joy and your delight. We ask that it would pierce hearts today afresh. Lord, that you would restore the joy of our salvation, that the heaviness would lift, the fog would lift, and you would remind us again that our names have been written in the book of life and we're gonna share in an eternal inheritance with you in the age to come, and that's where our hope lies. Break the power of despair. Break the power and the fog in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Others of you, you've noticed an increased attack against your children. Your children, their setbacks related to your children or, or sickness or illness or, or emotional things or whatever. If that's you, we want to take a moment and pray for you. Just raise up your hand if you'd like to receive prayer for that. Anywhere in the room, just raise your hand. If someone's near you with their hand raised and you see them, just put a hand gently on their shoulder. We're not going to allow our most precious people, our children to become devoured by the evil one. We're not gonna allow that. And we have authority because of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
We have authority to resist the plans and the schemes of the devil against our children. Is there someone near you with their hand raised? Just put a hand on their shoulder. If you're on the web stream, just lift up your hands to the Lord. Father, we ask for families, for children, break the assignment of the evil one. We plead your blood. We plead your blood that speaks a better word, my God. We ask for your power to break through for children, that you would rebuke the evil one, that you would drive back the power of darkness. And we ask for the release of your spirit that would push back demonic activity against children in sickness. Every spirit of infirmity would be broken and go in the name of Jesus. Every emotional tormenting spirit would be broken by the blood of Jesus right now. Release your glory, Lord. Release your authority. Stretch out your hand. Oh